You're listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. Jubilee Montreal is a Christian church located in downtown Montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So I'm just going to ask a few questions myself and try to give some perspective on them. But first, what does Jesus mean by these things? It's, of course, difficult which we'll get to, of why it's being hidden. But what are the things that are being hidden? And when we read the, the, the parts around Matthew chapter 11, when Jesus starts saying this, it's not ex- exceptionally clear what he's referring to. Just before this, Jesus is, Jesus is giving his kind of uh, teaching that, that definitely bothers certain people, in which he basically says, in general, the places that I've been and the towns that I've taught in and so far and the miracles I've done, people did not understand what they were. They did not understand what my miracles meant, what my teaching was. They don't, meaning they don't know who I am. And because of that, they're going to suffer something worse than all these other towns that you think in history have suffered bad things. So he says this. So it could be referring to literally what he just said. But it seems like what he means in the, in the bigger picture of Matthew's account of Jesus, is it's everything that Jesus teaches. It's everything that he does. And most importantly for us, it's, the, it's his message, which he calls the message of the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God. That this thing, these things, the things of the kingdom, the things of God, these things are, are hidden, actively hidden, it seems like, from these people called the wise and learned, and the revealed to little children. The things that Jesus is talking about can only be truly known through something called revelation as well. Revelation, what it actually means outside of just what we mean for it to mean in the Christian world, is it just literally means to uncover something. So what God's saying here is that the things that Jesus is teaching and saying are actually like covered with a black sheet to people, or to some people. And it's not that some people figure it out, and it's not that some people can just see it or they get it, but it's that God has literally taken the sheet off of it for some people. I don't think all of these things are not troubling, but I think we just have to wrestle with what, how, what does Jesus say, how does it work? And, and at some point we might see why we're talking about this today, I'm not sure. So you've hidden these things, you've hid these things under a sheet from certain people who he calls the wise and the learned. And instead, the father has chosen to take the sheet off for children, little children. Some, some translations say infants. Yes, father, for this is what you were pleased to do. I think we should wrestle for, for Manuel, for, for others of us. What does it mean by the wise and the learned, though? And I think it's easy. It, number one, we, don't wanna, we, we like to soften what Jesus says so we don't have to deal with it. But also, we also like to react. And if we're not the wise and learned, we really like this part. If we are, we're not really sure what it means. And we want to figure out with our minds what it means <laughs> so we can get out of it. 
but he's, re- he's, he's specifically wants to say that the things of God, the tr- not knowing about God, but the true things of God can only be known by having them revealed by God. And they are hidden specifically from people who are wise and learned. The problem is that the Bible is not always negative about wisdom. In fact, it's usually positive. In fact, what Jesus is probably doing here is being sarcastic. Okay, so who's he talking to? Besides some of his disciples, he's talking to, to teachers, to professional teachers of the Jewish law. Those who know, those who lead discussions about the law, and those who teach and mentor others on how to follow it. They generally don't like Jesus. Jesus does not have their credentials. Jesus does not follow in their general path of teaching and interpretation. And they, they, they generally don't like Jesus. Okay? So Jesus is talking to them. And so when Jesus says the wise and the learned, does Jesus actually think that the Pharisees are actually wise? And that they've actually learned something? No, of course not. He's being sarcastic. He's saying the wise and the learned those who think they're wise and they think they know, that's who God's hiding this stuff from. Who is he not, who is he revealing it to is he's revealing it to little children. Little children is also kind of a placeholder. Yes, maybe he's revealing it to people who are literally children. But if you look at the disciples who are around, who are beginning to understand what Jesus is saying and who will, they're not literally children, right? So what does Jesus mean? There's the wise and the learned and there's little children. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. See, but this is an important point to get. It's all a bit kind of, it's hard to make it super clear. But what's going on throughout this is that Jesus is saying that there's certain types of people who think they're wise, but in reality they're not. And they look wise. And there's certain people who are actually like children. Doesn't mean that they behave like a child, necessarily, but there's something childlike about them. So both of these things, wise and learned and children, are, it's easier to think about it as somebody who has the posture of these kinds of, the, uh, the heart posture of this kind of person. So this is why we don't want to react, by the way. So is it just, it's easy. So if you want to know Jesus and if you want to have things revealed to you, don't get an education. Is that what he's talking about? Because that's on the surface what it says. Well, this is why it's not actually about that. I mean, we don't know that much in reality about these people, but Luke, who wrote an account much like Matthew's, had some level of learning beyond most of the others, probably whatever it was that he actually did for a living before Jesus. He had a certain amount of learning. Paul had a lot of learning, a formal education. Uh, but Jesus revealed himself to these people. And so what does it mean that you can, you can actually be a person of learning and wisdom, but what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to become like a little child. But again, we like to, we like to react it's much more difficult to try to look at how do I change the posture of my heart to become the kind of person that can have something revealed to them. So what does it mean to be like a child then, though? In, in, in this passage and around it, what does it mean to be like a child? What, what this is saying is we can't, this might be clear to you, but it's not clear to the way we live. We can't access God at all in relationship. You cannot access God in relationship through pride. Pride will kill your relationship with God very quickly. The problem is that we have pride, many of us often, and we think we're in relationship with God. 
We can't access God through the things of the world. This might seem strange, but it's the message of Jesus in many ways. It's the strange parts of Jesus that we don't like. You can only approach God through trust. It's the only way to have a relationship with God. And what does it mean to trust? It means to come to the end of ourselves, the end of yourself, which also means, to a point, coming to the end of our understanding. This is why it's difficult for somebody who's educated, which, by the way, in the, in the looking at just our global community, we're all pretty educated. So it's not, we like to do that. That's why we react, so we can compare. And if we compare to other people, then we don't have to, we feel a lot better about ourselves. This is a hard, le- this text is very hard for everyone once we start getting into it. So coming to the end of ourselves, coming to the end of our abilities, coming to the end of our understanding, everybody at some point must come to the end of these things. If they want to know God, these things are not bad. So wisdom and education and learning is not bad. In fact, it's a gift from God. Your brain is a gift from God. We're, we're called to love God with our minds. The problem is to come to know God, to have a relationship with him, does not happen through simply thinking thoughts, thinking correct thoughts, which is a good thing to do. But that's not the way that we come into relationship with God. We come into relationship with God. We do life with God through surrendering our lives every day. This is hard because we, we, it, you have to stay in the tension of what Jesus is saying and what he's not saying. He's making a point that if you want to do this, by the way, this is what I'm trying to do here today is we're going to talk about what the passage means, but I think it's more important, as important, that you figure out how to do it, that you figure out how to live it. If you come here every week and you listen, or me, I just read it, or someone else is up here, and you just listen and you understand, but you don't know how to live it, it's of no It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter because, in fact, it's better if you didn't. Because if you don't, you'll be faster to come back to the realization that you need something. If you learn it all and it never goes into your heart and you never do it, then you'll think you're fine and you're not, which is the problem here for Jesus with the wise and learned. Is That's what he says to them. You who are wise and you're learned, but you're not children. Our understanding our education, whether it's through traditional education or it's just through life experience or whatever it is, is good. It's not bad. It's a positive thing. This is not about being anti-intellectual. This is important because when you come to the father heart thing, there may be certain passages that, that will be, I don't know if they'll be taught, but they sometimes are. And it begins to feel in our reactionary thing. Like, are we saying it's, is this person saying that it's anti-intellectual? And I think as a whole and healthy person, what you need to wrestle with is that, of course, that's not what God is saying. But we're so used to approaching God with just the intellect. By the way, I'll get to you if you're emotional. Just approaching God with the intellect that we never understand is a huge blockage to you know how do I walk with God like Jesus did as a father. And what we have to always do is that the intellect has to somehow be submitted to God, which is actually quite difficult for many of us to do. What we're called to do is to love God with with our minds. However, as I said, we only can come to know God again through surrender. When it comes to a relationship with God, whether you have not started one yet, or just as important, you you have had one for a long time, it's actually those who become like children who, who find true relationship and who find true wisdom. Becoming a child is the path to true wisdom. And I want to challenge all of us, myself included, to rethink these things. I'm not sure that we know how to be a child. I think there's streams in Christianity that think we know what that means, but in fact, it's just a reaction 
to the intellect. It's not true maturity either. What does it mean for you to become like a child? It's the humble, this is what children are like, it's the humble, it's the hungry, it's the open that win in the kingdom of God. So if you want, you can do all kinds of things in life. If you want to know God, you need to do these things. We can believe this with our mind as well. We can talk about the passage and understand what Jesus is talking about. But until we truly walk in it, we'll remain outside of relationship with Jesus. I think there's a warning in the passage. And it, Jesus never, he kind of comes out and says it in a minute. But I think it's, it's assumed in the passage. It's assumed who he's talking to. I know we don't think we're Pharisees, but he's talking to people that think they know God. It's, it's what's important about the Pharisees. It's not so important at the moment that they, that they are law keepers. It's that they think they know but they don't. And so we are all that to a certain extent at certain times more than others maybe, but we're all that. Until, until we truly walk in it, we're not in relationship with Jesus, even if we've believed the correct things. So here's a, here's a troubling thing. God is actively hiding the things of the kingdom from some people. I was, I was reading a bunch of stuff about this this week and praying, and I came across a blog uh, that was basically just like a skeptic. I can't believe that this, I, made this remind, I didn't plan on sharing this, but I was actually a bit surprised about the passion and time some people have on their hands to do certain things. And there's this blog, very well researched, not necessarily correct, but very well researched, lots of content, many passages explained, all from the, all from the, the with clearly the intent to disprove the passages of Scripture which I find hilarious because just the one was just misunderstood. Whether it's true or not actually doesn't matter to me in the moment when I'm reading this blog, but it's just poorly understood. But it reminds me of when I studied, I studied religious studies in a public university and you had like, if, the, if this were the classroom, and I went there to lose my faith because that's what people told me would happen if you studied there, but like a good half the class are like the hardcore atheists of the university who have chosen to pay credit hours to take a class that they need to disprove Christianity, in which rarely happened, because that wasn't the point of the class anyway. It was from a historical perspective, so they kind of wasted their time. But it's because they're just reacting. They had bad experiences probably in a church, and now they need to disprove it. Uh, this is somewhat like the Pharisees. But what's funny is it just seems like some things are hidden from people. Now, very quickly, the guy who's writing the skepticism blog is, may have things hidden from them, but maybe I do too. The, the, the thing to, to wrestle with here is that the scriptures cannot actually be understood simply through human mental strength. I know some of us think that because we don't feel confident intellectually, but it's something important for us all to wrestle with is that that is what it's saying. That's not the road to know God. By the way, this should give you everybody comfort, by the way, because if it was so simple that you just had to become smart in the eyes of the world to know God, then what would we do with all the people in the world who God loves, who don't have the intellectual capacity to wrestle with maybe even this text. It's good news that God will just reveal. It also should be good news that as you want to share the good news with somebody else, that literally what has to happen is that God has to take a sheet off of something for them to see, which really means that the pressure should be off you. I'm not going to pretend to tell you how I know when that's going to happen other than only what the text says. To experience revelation then, how do you do it? If it's up to God pulling a sheet off of something, how do you do it? The only clue of the passage is that you must become the kind of person that can receive revelation. And that is a person of humility. 
if we try to boil down what it means to be a child, and it's not a perfect recipe to boil down, is to become humble in the true meaning of the word humble, to be emptied of yourself, of your ego, of your assumption about your intellect, of your assumption about your knowledge, and realize that what we're talking about here is knowing God, which is ridiculous. And of course, it has little to nothing to do in the end with what I think. When things are revealed to me, I need to begin to love God with my mind as well and not rebel against it, everyone. But it's not the path to know God in the first place. The path to know God is to surrender in humility. Proud people can't receive things, anything. It's a basic but important point. It's, I hate talking about principles, actually. But if there's a principle I feel like that we don't talk about that is a principle of the New Testament, is that people who are humble receive and people who are proud don't and can't. Verse 27, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. I find this more difficult than the first part, probably. All things have been committed. The Greek word here for committed can mean to literally, it means the same thing, but maybe it gives you a different image, to literally have taken everything that the Father was holding and put them in Jesus' hands. All things have been put in my hands by my Father. All things. Someone asked all things. I don't think it's clear what it means other than everything, which is not clear either, but... The Father has put everything in the world. There's that old song, you know, the whole world in my hands. I forget. That's good. What it means, beyond the surface meaning of he put everything in my hands, is that Jesus has been given authority over everything. And again, I know we know about this, but imagine, wrestle with this, whether you believe it or not, that what Jesus is telling these people in the first century, like in a room, that's not probably not in a room like this with chairs, but imagine. And he's saying, the father who you believe in God has given me authority over everything, including you. It's like, what? No one, and this one, no one knows, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to replace the words son with Jesus and the word father with God to try to change a bit and help understand. No one knows Jesus except God. You wrestle with that for a minute. You don't know Jesus. According to Jesus, you don't know him. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus was far ahead of his time. Except for God. And no one knows God except Jesus. No one. This is why Jesus is problematic for these people. They think they know God. In fact, they have issues with Jesus' theology. And what Jesus tells them is, you don't even know God. In fact, no one does except for me. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And clause, because I have all authority, and only those people who Jesus chooses to reveal the Father to. It's much easier to believe that the way that the spiritual world works is that some people believe and some people don't, and it's all, it's all up to the person. And it seems like this passage is kind of this balancing act between the two. The, the Father is only revealed through Jesus choosing to reveal him. And the only clue we have is that He's not completely random. He's just choosing to reveal him to people who are like children. 
All things have been put into my hands by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus' authority and power come from his relational intimacy with God. This is a clue for us, too. The only authority he has is because of his relationship with the Father. It's because the Father put everything in his hand. And I, I want, like, it's, it's important, by the way, that when we read any passage from the Bible, that for a moment, we, we step, try to step outside of our larger understanding of the Bible and theology. Those things are helpful, but they can get in the way of under, trying to wrestle with what Jesus is saying here, which on the surface, the Father had all authority. It says this elsewhere too, by the way. The Father had all authority and he put it all into Jesus' hands. What does that mean? It means a lot of things, but it, it simply, for the moment, means that Jesus has the authority to do what he wants. No one knows Jesus. By knows, by the way, he means really knows. Because what he's saying is there's lots of people that are standing around that know Jesus, that know him, that know of him. He's just like the wise and the learned are the wise and the learned, no one really knows Jesus in his true identity except for the Father and no one knows the Father except for the Son. And this point is so important. And it's, it's more important than we can get across in the one minute I'm going to talk about it, which is why we're doing a retreat too that's somewhat about this. You can't understand Jesus intellectually without understanding his relationship with the Father. And sometimes we try to have beliefs about Jesus, but Jesus is not willing to be understood outside of his relationship with the Father. And sometimes that messes with our understanding of the Trinity, which is beyond the intellect in a way. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. How does this work? Other than what Jesus is saying is there's this relationship, this exclusive relationship between him and the Father. What it, Paul calls God, Paul means as the Father. There's this exclusive relationship between the two, so much so that nobody actually knows each other except for the other. But Jesus is saying this is actually the message of the gospel. This is true. We, no matter what you hear elsewhere, the story of the scripture, the Bible, at least is that, as weird as it might seem, is that there's this relationship that no one has access to. Except now, Jesus is choosing to reveal the Father to some people. What does it mean to have the Father revealed to you? Well, let me, let me, I'm going to do that. But first, Jesus uses extremely limiting and exclusive language. Okay? No one knows him other than the Father. No one knows the Father other than him and those people who he chooses to reveal it to. No one. Which is also what he's saying is, no matter what our beliefs are, and and I don't think of it as like, this is my belief or this is a Christian belief. This is Jesus's belief. Take it or leave it. But what he's saying is nobody knows God, period, outside of Jesus in the whole world. Religious systems, belief systems. You can even say Christianity because what he's saying is truly know anything, anyone. No one knows him other than him extremely, probably more exclusive than we have thought about what Jesus's exclusivity means. He's extremely exclusive. And he's saying, the only people that will ever know God are those people who I choose to reveal him to. The Father, then, is revealed through Jesus' life. We may know this, but the Father is only revealed, therefore, through Jesus' life. 
and then through the scriptures that speak about Jesus. It's nowhere else is the Father. I mean, imagine, he's even saying things that are probably a bit troubling to the Jewish people who do have a pure heart. What do you mean, that Moses didn't know God? That Abraham did not know God? What do I do with that? That's who we follow. That's who, I mean, he talked to God. And Jesus is saying, compared to me, no one knows him. The Father is revealed through Jesus' life, and those who receive that revelation, who does Jesus reveal the Father to then? From the passage, if he's just like the Father, then he reveals them to children. Jesus is revealing the Father to children. So, if we're, this is actually good news. If we're having trouble believing, or if you know somebody who's having trouble believing for the first time starting to follow Jesus, or just, I have trouble believing often, what do I do? How do I do that? How do I cross that gap? What I should think about, rather than trying to believe, is what does it mean for me to become like a child now? What would a child do in this situation? A child would just believe, yeah, but I can't. Well, then I haven't surrendered yet. This is difficult, but this is what Jesus' teaching is. You, we can all do that, by the way. You can do that. You can know God. You can become like Jesus. He's the one that's going to do it. All he asks is that you come to him like a child. It's the very reason why when Jesus meets a rich young ruler one day and he asks him, oh, you're, you're really set to follow God. You're really set on it. You want to come follow me. That's awesome. One thing I require. Yeah, sure, name it. Go and sell everything you have first and then come and follow me. And he says, I can't do that. That's too much. Some of us know the story, but in this context, the, the point is not that he didn't understand. The point is not even that he couldn't, that he, that he couldn't follow the rule. It's that he couldn't surrender everything. So he didn't get to know him. It's a sad story, but it seems to leave it there. He went away sad, for he had many things. Did that man come into a relationship with God? It seems like no, at least not then. Because what Jesus required was he become like a child, and a child would be able to see the, what they could be given to follow Jesus more than holding on to these things. And the value of these things as a child would be nothing if they could feel and understand what they're being given. So we can know Jesus and not really know him at all. That's something I think you should wrestle with today whether you followed him for years and years or whether you're trying to follow him now. And it's not supposed to instill fear in, like, in terms of an unhealthy fear, but Jesus is doing this. He's be making them uncomfortable to wrestle with the heart. It's possible to know him, but not actually know him. God will only be found through surrender. Without rebelling against all other ideas, he will only be found through surrender, even if we pursue lots of study. Even if we pursue lots of spiritual or emotional experiences, he won't actually be found through it. God can use anything when the person is a child. So there are not many ways to God. Also, this is important to, to touch on. There aren't many ways to God. But it's actually good news. This, you've probably heard this idea. We talk about it sometimes, but it still reigns supreme in the world today is that, of course, there are many ways to God. I don't think the answer is actually, of course, there's, not one way, of course there's only one way to God. It's through Jesus. Well, this is true. 
But what Jesus seems to be saying is that the heart of that is because the only way to God is through Jesus because, not because it's like my religious belief over and against your religious belief, but literally it's just because that is the message of Jesus. That is his message, that there's only one way. And I think actually, I want to just read it, another passage for a moment that to me is a parallel to this passage, another strange story that Jesus tells where he says different things, but I feel like he means something very similar. I'll just read it to you. John chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You believe in the Father, believe also in the Son. My Father's house has many rooms. To me, this passage is so important. I almost stopped before I started this and preached on this instead, and I chose not to. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to that house to prepare a place for you? I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. It's funny that the, the, um, the way this is written, the grammar can mean that he's saying, I'll bring you to be with me where I will be. But he could also say that where I will be, but it literally says, I will bring you to be with me where I am presently, which is a strange thing to say to somebody. Later, I'll come to you to bring you to where I am right now. I think it's important to wrestle with what, if that's what it means, what does that mean? You know the place where I am going. Thomas, as he does, he's the honest one. Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, this is important again to realize, it's not the way just to salvation. Jesus wants to emphasize, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, if you truly know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know the Father and you have seen the Father And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. It's important. This is part of it, that we're going to become like Jesus. This is why it's important. We'll do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. What Jesus is saying is, like, it's how Jesus likes to boil down life just for a moment, for his disciples. Boil down reality. What's going to happen is that I'm going away. Where am I going? I'm going to my father's house. What's that? Well, my father, God, has a house. He has a house? Yeah, and the house has a lot of rooms in it. Really? And what are you going to do? I'm going to go there, and I'm going to prepare a space for you. Why? And it seems like what Jesus is saying is that that's the point of life. That's the point of following me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That passage that we know is in the context of going to the Father's house. And the Father's house is a place where it seems like Jesus lives now. 
in his presence. And, and even Philip saying, just show us the Father, that would be enough for us. And Jesus trying to get them to see that, yes, this is coming, but it's now. All that to say is maybe we don't understand the Father. What is Jesus? Yeah, I believe in the Father. Okay. But Jesus seems to think that everything is about people experiencing this relationship that he has with the Father. It's, it's, I, I, spoke, I preached a sermon the week before we launched on the, in the end of September that was called Coming Home. And it was this, this sermon that was way too long. It's like an hour and 20 minutes or something, of which this will not be. And it was about the prodigal son, uh, the story of the two sons. But it was about the same, it was the same message. In fact, none of us live at home. This is a way of sharing the gospel. None of us are at home. We're all wandering in the world. None of us are at home within ourselves, within families, within communities. We're all lost. And that what Jesus is doing is inviting us to follow him back home to finally feel that we're at home with our long-lost father. Those are fine ideas. It's about whether the heart can begin to desire that and can begin to pursue that and find that. And then your life will continue to change. That's sometimes why our lives don't change because we're following Jesus, but we're not following Jesus. We're following ideas about Jesus, beliefs about Jesus, but we're not actually following him to a place. He's going somewhere to the father. Will we follow him there? And he says, when we do, we'll actually do the things that he did. But the secret to doing the things that Jesus did is not trying to do the things that Jesus did. It's about being in relationship with Jesus. Just like he's in relationship with the Father, so the Father's put everything in his hands, Jesus is almost doing the same thing to you and I if we will pursue him in relationship and through surrender. The message of Jesus is that having a relationship with the God of the Bible is essential and is, is essential to living a whole human life. I want you to wrestle during this part for just a moment with what it means for you to believe the gospel and what it means for you to share the gospel with someone else. The message of Jesus is that having a relationship with the God that is expressed in the words of the Bible is essential to living a whole human life. Not just for something that happens after life, which is good news, but it's essential now. The bad news is that nobody knows God, according to Jesus. Nobody can know him in and of ourselves. No one has, none of us actually know him. The good news is that Jesus does know him and that Jesus is offering to reveal him to you, to restore your relationship with the father, to save you through what he did, through his life, through his death that tears down the wall between you and the father. He resurrects from the dead to give you power, to make you a new, a brand new person, to be able to live the life that Jesus lived with him. So God, just in closing this part, God cannot be found through exploring things. As you're helping somebody to know Jesus, it's very difficult. You're doing an impossible thing. So it's not a surprise that it sometimes feels a bit like it's not cut and dry. But then it's good to explore things. Exploring things, even studying, although this is helpful, like Bible studies with people and things like this, talk, like it's all good. Just understand when it's happening that it's not that that will do it, which means you can take some burden off. And instead, what you should be doing is praying, doing that, conversing, talking, sharing, praying, and helping the person to come into a place which often just means waiting till they come to the end of themselves, till they can surrender. Sometimes why we don't share 
the good news is because we don't live it. It's, we think it's because we don't understand it and we're concerned that we don't know how to say it, which there's a certain amount of legitimacy to that. But I think if you lived it, it would matter little. It's because, and I've lived this, I don't want to share something and it's awkward to sell something that I don't use. No one teaches you how to tell somebody about something that you love to use or to talk about it. Okay, so we're just going to end here. The last little bit. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Remember that Jesus reveals the Father, and we know from John chapter 5, 19, that Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. He only says what he hears the Father saying. So Jesus hears the Father saying this. He sees the Father saying, come to me all you who are weary and burdened. This is a, Jesus is teaching us through his life what the character of God is like. What he's actually like is God is looking out to humanity. He's looking to you and he's saying, come to me. If you're weary and burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. We think God is saying lots of things. It seems like this is what he's saying. The problem is that it takes, a, it takes being a child to come to a place of realizing that you are the weary and the burdened. The invitation is not to everybody. The invitation is to the weary and the burdened. So we're just going to end here with an invitation. You may have heard it a thousand times, but hear it fresh from Jesus. What Jesus is inviting us to do is to come to him. What it means to be weary is to be toiling or working in body and in mind. Weariness is anxiety, it's stress, it's burning out, it's, being, it's a feeling of being done, of being just tired. This is weariness. Carrying a heavy burden in the context of the New Testament often means a, a strong consciousness of sin, a strong consciousness of what's wrong with you. A strong shame, a strong guilt that can't be removed, and a weightiness to life. That life feels weighty. Doing things correctly feels weighty. Following Jesus feels weighty. It feels like too much. So that's you. Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you something called rest. And just like the rest of the passage, rest is something that must be received. The assumption of the passage is that you can't find this kind of rest outside of trusting Jesus. This is actually good news, the whole passage. The passage is, there is a God, simple and true. That's what Jesus is saying. There is a God, and this God is inviting you to come to him. Anyone and everyone who can recognize that they are the weary and the burdened, to become like a child and to, tr- to find something called the true rest of the soul. I would like to submit that this is actually what people are looking for. This is what I'm looking for, to be honest with you. More and more and more. And I think what people are seeing, religious or spiritual or not, is how can I just experience a life of peace, a life of meaning, a life of rest, besides all the other things that we pursue. And this is exactly what Jesus is trying to give. True rest. So God is not trying to put unbearable obligations on you and is not trying to please a distant God out of fear that he's going to get you. 
Hopefully most of us know this by now, but if you don't, this is not the God of Jesus. And more importantly for us, it's not trying to get what we want from God. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. Why? Because a real relationship, truly knowing, remember, truly knowing Jesus destroys want. You, you won't desire like that anymore. I mean, to truly know Jesus, I know it's difficult for us to truly know Jesus, does not mean that you'll be, God, why is, are you not doing this for me? Why are you not giving me that? I struggle with this. The problem is that it's just a clue, not why isn't he doing it, but that I have not progressed into a true relationship with Jesus in this area. Because if I was, my desires would shift. I would, I would be praying things like, Lord, your will be done, not mine. This is what Jesus looks like. Jesus is, God, why is this not happening? And I'm following you. I have misunderstood following him. Following him means destroying my want, destroying my desire. That seems like bad news until I realize that what I get in return is, is rest of the soul, which you won't want to exchange for any of the other things anyway. Okay, so a little aside here before we end, because we have to, because we all react against things, including myself. I could have done that. This is a fantastic illustration of a yoke. I just like this one. The yoke is the thing in between the two oxen, okay? And, and this is still used in places in the world today, but in Jesus' day, this was a common sight. And the way that the oxen would, would do their work is to be tied together. And the way that the Jews would talk about life before Jesus, in the time of Jesus, is that it would say that to live a good life, to live a life that honors and glorifies God, is to be yoked, meaning to be connected to, to be yoked to the law, Okay? And they, this is a biblical idea. And if you were yoked to the law, to follow the law's guidance as you go, you would live a good life. You would glorify God. So for the Pharisees, we always talk about what that would mean is they had to define what that meant. And that's kind of where they started to go off base was they had to define what it meant to follow the law. Jesus takes this example to talk about how to live life. And what he says is, take my yoke. Okay, so in this scenario, what Jesus is trying to teach them is to take my yoke. So Jesus is going to be on one side and you're on the other. One of the oxen, by the way, is always bigger and stronger than the other. I guess you can kind of make that out there. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, like as we walk, for I am gentle and I'm humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. The thing is, is that often we think when we read a passage like this, that what Jesus is saying is that we, there's no law anymore, right? I mean, it is kind of true, right? This just, you do whatever you want when you follow Jesus. It's about rest for your soul. It's just about peace. It's about letting go. It's about good feelings. It's about all that stuff. But what he says, what, if he wanted to do that, what he'd probably get rid of is the whole idea of a yoke. The yoke is a burden, by the way. The yoke is a burden on your neck that you have to walk with. The problem is he's saying is that this burden is a burden that brings rest. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5, you probably know this, this verse, and uh, I have it right here, so I'll read it quickly. Do, not, do you not think, that I ha- do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? Don't think that, okay? Don't think that. Instead, jumping to verse 21, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, meaning the law, long ago, you shall not murder. That's the law that you must keep, right? And the Pharisees tried to figure out how to not kill. And he, and he says, 
you've heard it said you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. You're going to get what you deserve. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to that judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or a sister, raka, which is basically cursing someone, but we can say that because it's not in English or in French. Raka is answerable to the court. We can say things in Spanish too sometimes, but not today. Is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. That's pretty rough. All we can do is laugh maybe. What Jesus is saying is not that he throws the law away, but that, he's, that people have misinterpreted the law, the intent of the law. And what Jesus is going to do is, number one, Jesus fulfilled the law, okay? Jesus fulfilled the law already, perfectly. Come into my yoke and walk. The law was not bad. The law was good. It's not that you shouldn't follow the law. It's that you can't follow the law. And in fact, we've misunderstood the law. It's about fulfilling the intent of the law. It's about observing, fulfilling, following the law from the heart. What's that look like? Fulfilling the law from the heart means that I become the kind of person that does not hate. Not that tries to not hate, not that tries to make sure I don't do things that are considered murder, that I become a person of love, of deep love, where there is no hate. Well, how do you do that? Jesus is saying that if you come with me, I will teach you how to do that. I am gentle. I am humble in heart. And even in learning that, what will happen is you will find true rest for your soul. This is from a commentary I'll just read as we end. But Jesus' demands are still a yoke that is easy to bear and a burden that is light to carry. Because in the coming of the kingdom and the inauguration of the new covenant, the new promise, his spirit provides the same strength to carry the load that Jesus himself relied upon to carry his own load of redemptive service to humanity. What he's saying is there's a burden to following Jesus. Of course there is. Give up your life. Surrender. Those are not easy things. But it will bring life and it will bring rest. However, in the quest to learn from Jesus how to live God's truth, it is critical to remember that Jesus' disciples can also turn his yoke into an unbearable burden unless we consciously recognize that discipleship to Jesus is not essentially a religious obligation. Rather, what does it mean to follow Jesus then? It is an intimate relationship with the one who calls to me or to you personally, come to me. Learn from me. As complicated as life may become, discipleship is at heart simply walking with Jesus in the real world and having him teach you moment by moment how to live in his way. It's not a license to do what you want. It's the opportunity to learn from Jesus himself how to live life, of which you know when you're following Jesus, by the way. It's gentleness. It's lightness. It's rest for the soul. If you don't experience those things, then there's good news. You don't have to figure out. It's just clearly not Jesus. It's clearly not the Jesus of the Bible. So instead of taking on the yoke of the law, a religious system, what you think about yourself, what others think about you, we're invited to just attach ourselves to Jesus. That's it. What Jesus is going to show you if you follow him for the rest of your life is he's going to lead you to the Father. Why is that good news? It's because Jesus said that everything he did, everything that came out of him, his whole life overflowing with water came from one thing, relationship with the Father. Sometimes we've, we've in our theology, we've, we've tried to understand these things which are complicated, and in so doing, we have ruined the fact that Jesus had a relationship with the Father, and he wants you to have the same thing. Jesus is Lord and King and to be worshipped, and 
as you worship him and follow him, he wants to bring you into the same relationship that he had with the father, which is why he's revealed as a son, because we are sons and daughters. You guys can come forward. We'll end here. By learning from Jesus, we will find rest for our souls, and that's a process. Walking with Jesus each day, learning to live life from him. If we're not finding rest for our souls, it's not that Jesus is, it's just not Jesus' yoke we're under. And so I want to invite you today as we end to just consider for a moment in a place of childlike faith, in a place of openness, am I yoked to Jesus or am I not? Am I connected to Jesus or am I not? Am I trying to follow Jesus, but I'm not connected to him? Am I after one thing in life, which is relationship with the Father through Jesus, or am I not? And often we're not. I pursue all kinds of things all throughout the week. I was thinking this week about uh, midlife crises. I am not midlife, I'm near my midlife crisis. I've been taking some great vitamins, so I look young. Uh, but, you know, there's other crises that we have. The midlife crisis is, is just automatic almost for people nowadays, but there's like the quarter-life crises and the three-quarter-life crises. And when they solve aging, it's going to be a problem. So, but I was like, man, I feel like I have crises weekly. I don't know if that's just, I'm just weak, but I feel like every week I have like a crisis. What am I doing? Should I be doing this? Look at my life. How did I get here? Where are you, God? I don't know if anybody can relate to that. <laughs> but I just realized in those moments that it, what, what the Spirit, this is how I think it works, to be yoked to Jesus and to become a person that follows the law without following the law. Does that make sense? This is kind of what Jesus does. We're going to become people that follow the law without following the law. Hearts that have the law written on, their, on them. And I realized that in that moment when I'm struggling and I surrender, which looks like I give up, I give up because it's not working for me. My way of understanding and working is not working. And so instead, I just give up and I begin to walk with Jesus. And maybe I literally take a walk or I'll sit in prayer or I'll sit in silence or I'll remember. And God reminded me that my life is not about me, but my life is about what he's been doing in it. And that we all have our own story of faith, or we will very soon. And that that is what it's about. And as my faith goes in him, as my relationship goes in him, so does the rest of my life. The rest of my life does not matter much. If, if my faith in Jesus is not the main thing. And so I begin realizing that the reason I have these crises is because I'm trying to pursue things that aren't in the way of Jesus. I'm not running after Jesus and the Father thinking that's enough for me. Everything else is bonus. But instead I'm pursuing other things and so I don't, I don't experience that. And the only way to get back to that is to surrender again. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jvlmontreal.org.